knew we were praying for kids, and they haven't seen us since until they saw us unloading a trailer when we got here to camp, which means there must be children involved if you have a trailer at family camp, right, and bikes and stuff. And she said it just, it almost brought her to tears just seeing how the Lord had blessed us, and the Lord has indeed blessed us. I've got um, a wife and three kids, and here's a family picture. If we get up there, no, I don't know if my clicker's working. Da, 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 da. There we go. Wife and three kids. My oldest is in the middle. His name's Elijah. God brought us our sons by way of adoption. If you want to talk about adoption, come find me. We'll talk about adoption. Uh, it's, it's near to, and dear to our hearts and how God brought these kids into our home. And Elijah was a private adoption. Uh, from a scenario that took place with statutory rape of a 14-year-old girl. Um, he shouldn't be alive today, just, just to put it in those terms. Uh, he's not in here, is he? Okay. <laughs> I just had this fear that came over me suddenly. Uh, he just this last year learned what abortion was. And it just hit him. It just like came over him uh, that it could have been him. And it was just a, one of those touching moments as a, as a family. You walk through that with your kid because uh, it really could have uh, been him. And so the Lord brought him into our home miraculously four years later. Well, three years later, we had a, a foster baby we didn't get to keep. And we had to give her back. And then four years after that, uh, Judah came into our home. He's the little dude at the Mohawk. Uh, he's really not rebellious. He just likes that hairstyle. Uh, just to be honest, he's got two snarls right here in the front of his hair, you know, like cowlicks, and his hair just likes to do that, and it's just him. You've got to get to know. He's just a, just a fun little dude. Uh, he was a foster child. He was drug-affected when we got him, and uh, the Lord just rescued him from a really bad situation. Again, I don't really know why this, this mother carried him to term uh, with the condition she was in, but praise the Lord that she did. And then uh, I used to joke that the way that you get cute kids is to circumvent your own genetics. I used to say that. Then the Lord blessed us with Zoe, and she is a biological child. Uh, she's like the perfect blend between me and my wife. She's got my wife's kind of Asian sort of eyes and my giant forehead. You know, it's just wonderful <laughs> what the Lord does like that. You can see the family resemblance there. That's a lot of real estate up above the eyebrows right there. But she is, she's a blessing, uh, and just there is just a lot of energy packed into that little body. She's five years old, and uh, I think there's a 13-year-old trapped in that body. And maybe some of you have raised girls, and you can just tell me that's normal. Uh, but there's, there's attitude already. I don't know. I've done my best, but it's really hard. I think she's taken after my wife, uh, that kind of <laughs> snark and stuff. Um, but praise be to God for how he's led our family. Our son Judah, he's just a cute little dude. We took a picture of him the other day at a swimming pool, and uh, my wife just thought this was kind of a cute pose. Uh, just, just a handsome little devil. He's got these real dark brown eyes and this cute little smile, but we looked at him, we're like, he reminds us of somebody. Maybe. Huh? What do you think? Yeah? I'm thinking there's a future here. <laughs> this is fantastic. 
We've always kind of thought he's got this Jim Carrey smile when he smiles, and uh, we'll, we'll see. Just pray that kid could have influence someday, not, not because of that smile, but he just is a, he's just that kind of a guy. So we're praying for his heart, praying for all our kids' hearts. Um, I'm an older dad with younger kids, and I understand what it's like now to be praying for your kids and be concerned that they follow the Lord. That is a huge concern of mine, and I know it is for you as well if you're parents. And some of your kids are out of the house, and you're still praying for that, still praying that God reaches into your kids' hearts. Take your Bibles tonight, and you can open to Acts chapter 7. We're going to be in Acts chapter 7, into chapter 8 just a little bit. My goal for these sermons, starting last night, my goal is to encourage you, and I understand my audience here is mostly lay people, mostly church members. That's who I'm preaching to, are church members. And sometimes we get the wrong idea that those that are really serving the Lord are pastors and missionaries and full-time Christian workers. And we put those people up on too high of a pedestal, but what I want you to see from Acts, what I want you to see in these sermons the next few nights, is that God did amazing things through lay people. Acts chapter 6, as we talked last night, the institution of the office of deacon culminating in even priests, Jewish priests, who are diametrically opposed to Jesus Christ, coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, was a result of the church doing church government well and serving one another in love. That's why that happened. And so in Acts chapter 6, Luke starts this interesting section, and I called it, when I preached through this with my congregation, I called this the Great Hall of Deacons couple chapters right through here, the great hall of deacons. And we have in Acts chapter 6, the seven are chosen. And then we roll into Acts chapter 7 and we hear a sermon preached by who? Stephen. I don't know about you, but sometimes I kind of forget that Stephen was a deacon. And the reason I forget is because what we're accustomed to thinking of with Stephen is that he was a preacher, and his sermon in Acts chapter 7, and I mean, it was a barn burner of a sermon. After he got done, said they were cut to the heart, and he was stoned to death. I've never had a response like that in all my years of preaching. Praise the Lord. Man, what an amazing guy. He goes and preaches this sermon, the courage that he had, but let me remind you, he was not a pastor. He was not a missionary. He was not a full-time Christian worker. He was a layperson. He was a godly layperson serving the Lord, preaching the gospel. And then Luke goes from Stephen to Philip, another layperson. In chapter 8, we pick up with Philip, and this is what we learn in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. We have this character here named Saul. And it says in Acts 8, verse 1 Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravishing the church, and he would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them into prison. 
Saul was there to hear the sermon of Stephen. Saul stood and took care of the coats as they stoned Stephen. What Stephen had to say made such an impact on Paul, he never forgot it. And we see that here in the text as Luke kind of weaves Stephen and Paul's life together. And as Paul preaches throughout the book of Acts, you hear remnants of Stephen's sermon. Stephen, remember, the deacon. Not a full-time Christian laborer, a layperson involved in the conversion, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so there's persecution and Paul or Saul is ravishing the church and they're scattered and everybody stays. The apostles stay, but everybody else scatters outside of Jerusalem and it picks up the story here in verse 4 and it says, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word and Philip, Deacon Philip, a hero of the faith in the book of Acts. Where does Philip go? Philip goes to a land called Samaria. Philip goes right into the heart of racial tension between Jews and Samaritans. Who is it that breaks the racial barrier for the gospel? It wasn't a pastor, it was a layperson, a layperson challenged the racial tension, a layperson challenged the racial barrier between Jew and Gentile, between Jews and Samaritans. My friend, this is so significant. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem where they were comfortable with other Jewish people. And it was Philip that takes the gospel breaks through the racial barrier, and preaches to the Samaritans. And I love the way that Luke writes. I think Luke had a great sense of humor because in verse 14, it says this, When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to check it out. They get word back, the Samaritans accepted Jesus. No. We better send some delegates to check on that. Let's send, let's send Peter and John just to make sure this thing's legit. Kinda, can you imagine that church business meeting? Of course you can. You've sat in ones like that, right? So have I. So Peter and John go down. They realize this is legit. The Samaritans really have come to know Jesus. The gospel actually has broken through the Jew-Gentile barrier. The gospel is actually for all people everywhere. You see what's happening here is Jesus said, I want you to take the gospel and start in Jerusalem and then to where? Say it louder. Then to where? Samaria. And then where? We all are reading from different translations here, aren't we? I can tell this is a problem. Y'all need to be CSB only. That's what I'm going to be, CSB only. Amen? CSB 1611. No, that's not it. Let's say it like this. Jesus said, take the gospel here, there, and everywhere. Oh, look at that. See? That, that's our translation, the family three translation. Here, there, and everywhere. Well, the gospel went here. That's in Jerusalem. Guess who took it there? Philip. Guess who took it everywhere? Well, most say Paul. 
Let's look a little closer at the text, because we have another story about Philip in verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Philip was having a great ministry in Samaria. People were coming to faith in Christ. We had broken through the Jew-Gentile barrier. Amazing things were happening. Suddenly, the Spirit of God comes to Philip. An angel of the Lord comes to Philip and says, I want you to go somewhere else. And Philip had to just wonder, are you serious? Do you know what you're doing? Do you have any clue what you're doing, Lord? Have you ever asked that question of anybody? Do you know what you're doing? I was at the bank recently, pulled up to the drive-thru. I'm not a drive-thru guy typically. I like to go into places, but I went to the drive-thru this time. Grabbed the little capsule out of the thing, opened it up, put my stuff in, closed it. It was a check. It was a cashier's check. Someone had written to me. A lady named Caitlin had wrote this cashier's check to me. It was some, some money that uh, was given to me for doing a baptism. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I just like to make sure you're awake and say stuff like that. Put it in the capsule, push the button, door goes up, never ceases to amaze me. Those things are incredible, aren't they? Those little capsules, they get sucked up the tubes, you can watch them, and it lands. And I always just watch, make sure that she gets it, opens it up. She pulls out the check. I see this confused, furrowed look on her face. She looks up, intercom comes on, Mr. Oxberger. Uh Yes. She goes, uh, is, is Caitlin your daughter? And I don't know what kind of a sound I must have made, but it was probably something like, uh, like that. And then she's like, oh, no, 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 it's, oh, oh I, I got it. She's the one that wrote you the check. And I'm sitting there thinking, you are a bank teller. You're supposed to know how checks work, <laughs> right? There's the person that writes it, and then it's addressed to somebody else. I mean, I... Where was the confusion? Like, man, I better ride this one out. So I put a $100 bill in that capsule, sent it back up, and said, I need you to break this $100 bill. If you could send me back 10 100s, that would be great. <laughs> I didn't do that, but I thought about it. <laughs> in my car, thinking to myself, do you have any idea what you're doing? Why would Philip had thought that. Well, Philip's sitting there in Samaria having a great ministry, and it says in verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up, go south, go to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is called, real original name for this road here, this is called the Desert Road. Why might this be called the Desert Road? I'll show you why this is called the Desert Road. I've been here before. I've been in a bus in this spot. Philip's having a great ministry in Samaria, and God says, Philip, I want you to go there. Philip had to have been like, what? There? Why there? This isn't an area. It's the last stop. It's the last watering hole before you get to Egypt. I mean, there is literally nothing in this place. It's 2,400 feet lower than Jerusalem in the middle of the desert. There's nothing in this place. But verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up, leave your ministry in Samaria, go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza to that desert road. Now listen, one of the things I like to do when I preach is to help teach good Bible 
study skills. Last night, we camped on verse 7 of chapter 6. Just a little nugget right there in the middle of the text. And honestly, good Bible study and getting more from the Word is really a lot about observation. If you observe right, you'll see what's going on. So one of the things we observe here in verse 26 is that an angel of the Lord specifically comes to Philip and says, I want you to do this. And if an angel of the Lord came to Philip and said, I want you to do this, I want you to leave where you're at in Samaria, and I want you to go to this place, we have to know that something important was going to happen. I mean, something like really important was going to happen. And I don't know if Philip knew that or not, but he should have been prepared for that. Verse 27, so he got up and went. And what did he find? But an Ethiopian man, a eunuch. And sometimes you might even call this person a Cushite from the nation of Cush, an Ethiopian. Now, there is some discrepancy, some varied opinions on where this is exactly, this nation of Cush, but it's the ancient kingdom of what's called Nubia, which is modern-day Sudan. You can kind of see this area. There's Ethiopia, but really this area is further up north. And really all we need to know, honestly, about this verse is that this person was from Africa. This is an African, northern Africa to be specific. And look what it says in verse 27. He got up. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch. Okay? We're going to spend the rest of the sermon talking about what this means. No, we're not. I'm just kidding. Again, I want to see if you're awake. Kids, if you don't know what this means, talk to your parents later. This man was a eunuch, a high official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of her entire treasury. What do we learn about this man? This was a common practice in those days. This man was a slave. This man was taken captive. This man was victimized. This man was mutilated the hands of other people. It was a way to make people subservient to you. It was a way to humiliate a person. It was a way to capture people into a lifelong of servanthood. Often they would use eunuchs with the king's harem for a particular reason, because if you took that away from them, they would have no drive anymore, and so it was safe for them to be with the king's wives. What could we say about this person? We could say that this man was victimized. We could say this man was on the fringes of society. We could say this man was a marginalized person. This man was a victim at the hands of other people. And just let that settle in your mind for a moment as we bring this to our world today. There are many people in our world who are also victimized. If you were to put this in modern terms, you might say that this person is a slave, and you think of slavery in our country. You might think of slavery in other places. You might say that this person is a refugee who's been pushed off of their land and out of their homes from war in their home country. You might say that this person is an abused wife who's been beat by her husband so many times and she finally flees and gets away from him. She's a victim. You might say that this person is the foster child that nobody wants that gets bounced from house to house to house. You might say that this person is a transgender 
black person. That might take it from the pages of Scripture and bring it into our world today. Somebody who is either mutilated at the hands of somebody else or has done that to themselves. Do you have the picture in your mind? Can you think of people on the margins of our society? Can you think of the people that if you see them on the sidewalk, you're just prone to walk the other direction to avoid them, to hide your kids' eyes from them? That's the type of person that we have here in the text. Now, in biblical days, these slaves were often in positions of high authority. So there's some irony or some paradox to how they did this. And it says it here in the text. If you look with me at verse 27, he was a high official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. And he had come to worship in Jerusalem. And so he comes to this Cushite man and he sees his condition, but he also notices his position. He's high up in Candace's regime. But he also notices his religion as well. And interestingly enough, this man was not a pagan. This man happened to be worshiping the God of the Old Testament. This man was maybe a convert to Judaism. We don't know exactly if he was or not, but we know that he was at least interested in the God of the Bible because he was reading the Scriptures, as it goes on here in the text and tells us. He was reading the Old Testament Scriptures. He was so wealthy that he actually had his own copy of the Old Testament Scriptures. And if he were to buy a copy of the Old Testament Scriptures, he must have been interested in it to some degree or to some level. And so he was connected somehow to the one and only true God of the Bible. This is the man that Philip finds along the side of the road. What's interesting about this man being interested in the Jewish Scriptures and being a eunuch is that this man was headed to Jerusalem to worship, but this man, because of his condition, would not have been allowed to go into the temple because of his condition. He was an outcast. He was placed outside. God did not allow people who were mutilated like that to go inside and worship in the temple. If you want to read more about that, go to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. I'm not going to read it here in our time together. I would not recommend reading it for family devotions in the morning either. Your kids might be like, what? Yeah, it's a little graphic. But this man was going to Jerusalem to worship, a place that he actually couldn't go in fully because of his condition and worship the God that he believed in. And so he comes to this man, and I want you to look in your Bibles with me. Verse 28, he was sitting in his chariot on his way home reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Go and join that chariot. And this is what I want you to do, Philip. I want you to help to clear up the confusion. I want you to help the confusion that this man had about the Scriptures. A couple times here in the text, I just love to see in verse 26 and verse 29 that God was directing what was happening. When we read in the book of Acts that the Word of God spread, that the gospel spread all over the world. Sometimes we think, man, the people were so amazing, and, and the, the, the preachers were so amazing, and, and it was just incredible the way that they went. But please always know that wherever the gospel moves, God is the one that's pushing it along. God is the one directing, and God directed Philip. God directed in your life as well. The reason you're saved today is not because you chose to be, it's because God chose you. Verse 26, verse 29. 
God directed Philip. Verse 29, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch replies in verse 31, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the scripture he was reading was this, you've got to be kidding me. Isaiah 53, oh my goodness. Let me just go to Isaiah 53. You don't have to turn with me, but I'm going to read a little more in context. We have just a snippet, and I think he was probably reading the whole thing. Luke just included a little bit for us. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was upon him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. But the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful text of Scripture. Philip walks up. This is the text that the man is reading. This is like going to share the gospel with someone on an airplane. Have you ever tried to share the gospel on an airplane before? Anybody? Most of the time, I just try to leave people alone because these days they put earbuds in, but it can be a great time to share the gospel. This would be like somebody sitting next to you in an airplane, and they have their Bibles open, and it happens to be open to the book of John, and you look down, and their finger is in John chapter 3, and their finger is on John 3.16, and they turn to you, and they say, hey, I was just curious, do you happen to know who this is we're supposed to believe on for salvation? Talk about being teed up, right? I mean, you don't even have to go to seminary to answer that question. Philip comes up to this chariot in the middle of the desert. This guy's reading Isaiah 53. Look at the question that he asks Philip <laughs> in verse 34. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who's the prophet saying this is about? <laughs> Philip had to have been like, you've got to be kidding me. This is amazing. Himself or somebody else? This is amazing. Verse 35, Philip proceeded to, now there's an interesting Greek word right here. The word is just gospeled. Philip proceeded to gospel him about Jesus Christ, beginning with that scripture. Amen. It's not amazing to tell him the good news of the gospel from that scripture. And what an easy scripture it is to tell him from about the lamb that was crushed. And as he's going to Jerusalem to, to worship, he knows about the animal sacrifices and the fact that God needed to have a system where he could punish sin without punishing people. He wanted us to be able to have relationship with him, yet sin still needs to be punished. And so he has to punish sin without punishing people. And so he put into place a system to symbolize what was to come and the sacrifices of the lambs as the lambs were slain for their sins and the sins of the people was symbolically on the lamb and the blood was shed so that the punishment was on the lamb and not on the people. And then John the Baptist one day comes along in John chapter 1, verse 29. It says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away Away, the sin of the world. Oh man, that needed a bigger amen than that. Amen. Not only does he take away our sins, but he grants us his perfect righteousness. So when God looks at us, he sees us clothed in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, come, you're accepted. You're redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Boy, what a teed up text for Philip. And that symbolism is so beautiful. There's some great books. I would encourage you to use the book, The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. Fantastic book for evangelism. There's a kid's version of that called The Lamb. If you haven't gone through that with your kids, 
go through that with your kids. It's so powerful. We've walked through that with our kids, and we're walking through it right now with, with Judah, or should I say Jim Carrey, right? And I didn't know if he was getting any of it. I mean, it just was like, whew. I mean, he was, hey, are we done yet? I mean, he just, we're asking questions at the end, and he just couldn't get the answers to the questions. I'm like, what is wrong with this kid? You know, like, it was just really frustrating. So we come to the section about the lamb, and suddenly got his attention. And it talked about them putting the hand on the head of the lamb, and that the sin was going on to the lamb, and because the lamb had the sin, that they had to slaughter the lamb to take the punishment for the sin. So I took a little stuffed animal lamb and a bunch of fake blood, and no, I didn't do that. <laughs> Just making sure you're awake. Got to the end of that whole thing, and suddenly he's super quiet. It's like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. <laughs> Just praying, you know. Put him up into his bed. Hey, Dad. Tell something was really bothering him. Hey, Dad. Yeah, bud. Hey, uh, could, could we go to a farm tomorrow? Uh, that's usually not something that we talk about much. We live right by Jordan Creek Mall. I mean, it's not like, you know, like, we'll go to a farm tomorrow. Uh, why? I, I need to get a lamb to put my sin on to. Man, that like gets you, doesn't it? He understood. And friend, you need to understand as well. Maybe you're sitting here and you're bearing the guilt of your sin. You're trying to earn your favor with God. It cannot be done. And that message that Philip said to the eunuch on that day, what a glorious text to preach from the Lamb was slain for you. And this eunuch heeds the call, and there's three steps to it, as we see in the text. And it says in verse 36, as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. What would keep me from being baptized? And you might ask, well, when did he pray the prayer? Well, he never did. I think he understood, and God saved him. He understood and put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and says, I want to be baptized. Isn't that great? So there was conversion, and then conversion was followed up with baptism, verse 38, so he ordered the chariot to stop. Both Philip and the eunuch went down, went down into the water, and he baptized them. And verse 39, when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. What is this teaching here? It's teaching that baptism is to be by immersion. Can I get an amen? amen. Wouldn't expect anything less from a bunch of Baptists. <laughs> baptism by immersion. Goes down on the water. There's baptism. And then there's rejoicing. Look what it says. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went his way rejoicing. Went his way rejoicing. What a beautiful, beautiful story of this man being saved. But what's the point? <laughs> Why is this such a big deal? I told you it's a big deal, and it is a big deal. Why is it such a big deal? We see in verse 26, the angel of the Lord took Philip out of Samaria and said, I want you to go to the middle of the desert. Why? Something big's got to be going on here. I'll tell you why it's such a big deal. Because God was doing something. Jesus said, I want you to take the gospel to Jerusalem, to Samaria, to the other most parts of the earth. Here, there, and... You know what's awesome about this? He told his disciples to do that. But guess who were the first ones to do it? It was the deacons. It was the lay people. Who brought the gospel to Samaria? Philip. 
who brings the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And by the way, the Greeks and the Romans viewed Cush, viewed Ethiopia as the ends of the earth. Who's bringing the gospel to the, quote, ends of the earth? Now, we usually say Paul in Acts chapter 10. But what's fascinating here in the text, what the Holy Spirit did here through Philip, was to get a foretaste of what's to come. He actually had a deacon, a lay person, be the first one to bring the gospel beyond just Jewish people. We started with Jews, then we went to half-Jews, then we went to non-Jews, to this Ethiopian. Philip was the one to bring the gospel outside of Jerusalem, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And friends, again, it wasn't a pastor or an apostle or a missionary that did it. It was one of you that God used to bring his gospel to a new place. And I want to dig into this just a little bit deeper as well. It wasn't just anybody. Remember the type of person that God brought this gospel to. When God went to the uttermost parts of the earth, when God went to the ends of the earth, God said to Philip, I want you to go to this road because God had pre-appointed that he wanted this man to be saved. Why did he want that man to be saved? Because this man is not the type of person that you would normally think this is the type of guy God wants to be saved. And sometimes for people like us, we get this impression in our minds that the type of person God wants to be saved is the one that wears nice khaki pants with a tucked-in polo. It looks real clean and nice. No, no, no. The guy that God directed Philip to was a guy in the margins. The guy that God directed Philip to before Acts 10 happened, before Paul went to the rest of the world, the first Gentile actually saved. This is the first Gentile the gospel goes to. The first Gentile that is saved in all of history is a transgender minority. Just let that settle in for a minute. God has a heart for marginalized people. And God uses us, His people, to reach out to those that need the gospel. This is what I want you to see tonight, my friends, that God has equipped every believer for gospel-saturated cultural engagement. He's equipped all of us for gospel-saturated cultural engagement. Who are the marginalized in your life? Who are the people that you know that are the victimized or the people who victimize themselves? Who are the people that you would tend to walk the other way from if you met them on a sidewalk? Friends, it's important to know that God cares for them as well. The reason why this was such an important message to this Ethiopian is because Jesus does pay the penalty for our sins, but Jesus also brings healing He brings healing to our souls and our spirits, but He eventually brings healing to us someday when He comes back and He restores all things and heals this broken mess of a world that we're in today. And here's this Ethiopian who's been victimized at the hands of somebody else, knowing that in Jesus there's healing and knowing someday He's going to be whole and right and healed. When the day comes that all sickness is gone, when all disease is gone, 
When every evil thing that's ever been done to any other person is finally, the score is settled and there's justice and God makes this place right. Excited for that? That's the message we have here in this text. That's where this is going because it's a foretaste of the future. Who are the marginalized in your life? Who are those that you look at and you're tempted to disregard? Friend, God loves them. God wants us on the forefront of that kind of cultural engagement. I'm, I'm so thrilled to know that this camp still does special camp. Right, Pastor Steve? Man, alive. I mean, that just is a testimony to our belief in the sanctity of human life. People that are marginalized and cast off and now are aborted before they ever breathe a gulp of air on this planet. God cares for those people. Let me just bring this down even closer to home for you because you may be thinking of some people way out in the outskirts, but I would even think of those that are alone, those that you know that don't have anybody around them. Recently, we've gotten connected with a neighbor of ours. I was riding my bike, and there was a dude in his yard. He's an older guy. I'd never met him before. He spends six months in Arizona and six months here in Iowa. In other words, he's smart. He had a Trump sign in his yard. I'll just let that go, whatever. But I noticed that it, it was there and it was gone, it was there, it was gone. Something's going on. Riding by my bike, stop, get out, start talking to him. I asked him about the Trump sign. He says, yeah, it just keeps getting stolen out of the yard. So we start chatting. Guess what his name is? His name is Bill O'Reilly. Isn't that awesome? The spin stops here. Bill O'Reilly, I think he's in his early 80s, lives alone. He said he had tried being married before he'd been divorced for a long time. He preferred his life like this. He, he's got toys, he's got cars, he's got a farm that he goes down to, I mean, the, but he's lonely. I, I got the impression he's estranged from his kids. So I was riding by with my son the other day, and I thought this, this would be a good opportunity as well. Brought Elijah up, and I said, hey, Bill, if you ever need any help in the yard or anything, this kid's your, he's your dude. I mean, he's, he's good at yard work. I didn't offer my services, I offered Elijah's services. <laughs> he's top notch. Bill says, I tell you what, he says, maybe some, some Saturday, he says, you and me and Elijah, we can go down to my farm. I've got some projects. Do you think he'd like to drive a tractor? And I look over to Elijah and, I mean, <laughs> Elijah has big eyes anyway, but he's like, yeah, you know, again, we live by Jordan Creek Mall. You know, driving tractors is not the thing that happens in our lives a lot. And so we were supposed to do it. We got rained out, but we're going to do it again sometime. I'm just interested to see where this relationship goes. In our first conversation, he told me he was Catholic, and he basically just, he said, I'm just hoping that God's going to accept me because of the life that I've lived. Totally banking on his works. And I look at him, he's in his 80s, I'm like, I don't know how much time he got left. I didn't say that to him. <laughs> Thought it. I want to have Bill over for a meal I don't think he's got anybody else. I want to invite him into our home, marginalized, cast off of society, alone. Who is it for you in your life? What happened to Philip? Well, this is interesting here in the text, verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord whoop, just takes him away. <laughs> he winds up somewhere else, and he's just preaching somewhere else. I pray every day that God does that to me sometime. <laughs> That'd be so much fun. What happened to the Ethiopian? 
Well, archaeology has uncovered that there was a flourishing Christian community in that part of the world between the 5th and the 10th centuries. It's very possible that he was part of that, that he went and started a church in that area. It was a flourishing Christian community in that part of the world. We don't know that for sure, but it, man, it seems like that really, in, in the intentionality here in the text of God wanting to go to that man in particular, to send him back to preach the gospel, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, just feel like that's, that's got to be what happened. But I also want you to know that there's even a, a bigger future for him, a future for this Ethiopian that hasn't happened yet. In Isaiah chapter 18, it's hard for me to read this text without getting tears in my eyes as I think about it. It says in Isaiah 18, Woe to the land of buzzing insect wings beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends envoys to the sea and reed vessels over the water. Go, swift messengers, to a nation tall and smooth-skinned, to a people far and near, a powerful nation with a strange language whose land is divided by rivers. He's talking about the African nations. Look what it says in Isaiah 18. All you inhabitants of the world as you live on the earth, when the banner is raised from the mountains, look, when the trumpet sounds, listen, at that time a gift will be brought to the Lord of armies in Jerusalem from a people tall and smooth-skinned, a people feared far and near, a powerful nation with a strange language. They will bring a gift to Jesus in Jerusalem because they will worship Him in His kingdom someday. Isn't that beautiful? Gospel going to the ends of the earth. The entire planet worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, all, thing is made, all things are made right. Things are healed. In Isaiah 56, it says, No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, The Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, Look, I am a dried up tree. For the Lord says, For the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. The pun is intended in the text. God has a heart for people like this. And there will be salvation and joy and restoration for people like this. And my friends, you are part of that. And I am part of that. And God wants us to be on the edge of cultural engagement with people that so desperately need the gospel, people that are living out the consequences of sin in their life. And maybe you ask yourself, well, why is God doing this? Why does God let this go on? Why does God let so many consequences of sin ruin so many people's lives? Why is He doing this? Great question. And to answer that question, I'm going to tell you that I'm a Denver Broncos fan. Can I get an amen? Thanks, bud. I heard a boo. You're under church discipline. Get out of here. <laughs> as a Denver Broncos fan, and, and Iowans are just very confused people as it relates to pro sports because there's no pro team here. I hear Iowans say, I have a couple favorite NFL teams. Oh, really? Who's that? Oh, I like the Broncos and the Chiefs. No, no. The Bible says you can't both love Jesus and Satan at the same time. Like, you can't do that. That doesn't make any sense. So there's this rivalry that we've had. Broncos have been to eight Super Bowls. Just wanted to mention that. Chiefs have been to three. They've won one. And it was a sweet win. Any Chiefs fans out there? That's what I expect from Chiefs fans, just being really low, kind of like, uh, yeah, 
I don't know if that's because you're a Chiefs fan or because it's from Missouri. I don't know what it is, but I'm just kidding. This rivalry runs deep. But that was so sweet. There's Chiefs fans in my church. There's one, I mean, this guy, he's, he's in his 60s, a grown man. He posted on Facebook that he was crying when they won the Super Bowl. Crying. He says, I've waited for this my entire life. When you'd think he was talking about Jesus or something. Like he was so moved at this win. And that was a sweet win for those Chiefs fans out there. That was a sweet win. You lost last year. But that one before, that was a sweet win, wasn't it? Why was that win so sweet? That win was so sweet because you had spent years being losers. I mean, years, like 50 years, right, of nothing. And finally, oh, that's my editorial way of telling the story. What does that have to do with anything? This. The longer this strings out, and God lets the ravishes of sin just sweep around the world and we feel it and oh man, it's, it's awful. The victimization. The people that are hurting. As God lets us go on longer and longer, oh, the return of the Lord will be that much sweeter. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In the meantime, God's given you the equipping that you need for gospel-saturated cultural engagement, as Philip did in this text. Take your booklets out. Take your booklets out. I want you to write down. Last night, I wanted you to write down who in your life, who can you serve? Who can you serve? Tonight, I want you to write in your book, who can you reach? Who can you reach? Think about people that are on the margins. Maybe you know somebody like this man in Acts chapter 8. Maybe you know somebody that's been abused. Maybe the Lord's calling you to get involved in foster care. Who can you reach? God has a heart for the marginalized, for the abused, for the victimized. That was the first Gentile that God chose to save, was a person like that. Let's stand together tonight. Just want to leave with this song. This is old school, shows my age, but it's a great song. Let's sing it together. Jesus my Redeemer. No, do you got those words up there? There is a Redeemer is what it's called. There we go. Look at that.